This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast, or welcome if it's your, your first time. Uh, this is a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about the world of books and reading. We're recording on Thursday, October 21st, 2021, known to the wider world as Dune Day. <laughs> also, Tremors. <laughs> this is So you're watching this with Amanda and Bob. Tonight, yes. tomorrow, you tomorrow, have plans. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow, tomorrow night. night. Yes. Um, I'll say more about it later, but... We're going to do something for Dune that you're not going to be a part of, but I think Amanda is going to take your um, naive waifs interpretation, <laughs> uh, responses, I mean, uh, questions about where the spice comes from and what are those things when those people knows. Um, but Amanda and Jen and I are going to do something for Dune coming up in a week or so. So stay, look at that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I reread Dune this month. It's not a hot small take, task. Hot take, Dune's good. Um, I like Dune. But uh, but it's a big it, it, and it means we're in the middle on the precipice of the middle of this troika of big adaptations coming up mm-hmm. this fall. We're on the other side of let me say I'm on the other side of foundation, uh, even though this <laughs> season one isn't over. And then we've got Wheel of Time coming in November. But right <laughs> now it's kind of like this is the this is the most ex- it's like um, the day before Christmas Eve where it's like the Christmas spirit is as it is highest. It's all mm-hmm. downhill. From here, after we get under our belts, Jen and I recorded a podcast. I was a guest on SFF. Yeah, that episode um, released today. So by the time you're hearing, it'll be out. I'll put a link in the show notes where we talked. We read and talked about. I read Foundation again. She didn't, but then she watched it. She's read it as a kid um, or as a as a teenager. Um, we also talked about Saga coming back, which I don't know. That, oh, that that's something we would talk yes. about on this pod in in different times, or we could easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but Staples and Vaughn are, are saddling up to finish the back half of the saga run starting early next year. So you can hear me and Jen talk about Foundation. Um, let me just say that Foundation is not the next Game of Thrones. I think that's my word. That's all these things are trying to do. What's going to be the next Game of Thrones? What's going to be the next Game of Thrones? What can we spend $12 million an episode on? And I'll tell you this, Foundation looks like they spent 12 it's 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 It is beautiful. Unbelievably beautiful. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. Um, it... Uh, on the, you'll hear me. If you don't want to go listen to it, my review is it's not an adaptation of Foundation as I know it. It's not even a remix like Watchmen was or a sequel. It's let's use some very, 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 very elemental pieces of Foundation and then do with some other stuff. And I understand why. And you can hear me talk about it there um, with Jen. But I have higher hopes for Dune. I think Foundation, the book itself, is not amenable to the kind of hit or the kind of story structure it would take to be the kind of hit they're hoping for. Dune is. Um, a lot of the stories we know since Dune are based on, influenced by Dune. So we're kind of getting to it late, weirdly. I forget about the um, yeah, David Lynch fever dream, whatever <laughs> that movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's it's undescribable, indescribable. I feel like I've seen part of it, but I do remain convinced that Dune is like a Tremors prequel. So I, I'm going to disabuse myself of that notion. <laughs> 
tomorrow night, probably. Um, but I think it's notable given what you were just saying about everybody looking for the next Game of Thrones. Like, Dune is not trying to be the next Game of Thrones. Like, no. Dune predates that. It's fandom predates that. Um, folks' excitement about Dune is purely because it's Dune. It's not because there's been some, like, hype machine saying this is like Game of Thrones, so get ready for Dune. So I'm excited to watch folks kind of react to Dune just on its own merits and not as the thing that's trying to be the next something we've already seen before. If you didn't know Amanda and I and had talked to us, would you be watching Dune? Would you and Bob saddle up for Dune? Mm, Bob probably would. He has read it. Um, I think he listened to it on audio a couple of years ago. I would probably not be, I would not be sitting down to watch it on the first weekend that it's out. I'd probably be like reading reviews and paying attention to like the ringers Mm. coverage and Mashable has a good newsletter about movies and TV every week and sort of seeing. And if it was like, if it bubbled up enough to the mainstream for where people were like, yeah, even if you don't know Dune, you should watch this. You'll enjoy Mm -hmm. it. You don't need to go back and read the book. Then I would get in probably. I, I mean, I don't think I, I maybe told you, I can't remember what I've said in which pod and which conversation now. So I'm sorry if this is a repetition, but I was talking to some friends of ours in New York who are, I would say, very good pop culture consumers. They 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 like good things, um, which is what <laughs> something Jen said about Roger. Like he's open to like things and doesn't necessarily have um, no go or especially inclined to like certain genres or anything else like mm. that. So if, if it's good, it's interesting. People are talking about they're interested. Uh, my well, my friend Jeremy, who you you know, oh yeah, um, yes, in, yes. In his in his lady, Jeremy Blair, does like good things. He likes good things. They were, if you remember the episode of Annotated about the Oxford comma, they were the couple whose meet cute was about Oxford commas and dating profiles. Anyway, I said I was curious because what's their cultural weight of Dune? Like, what do they uh. are they excited for Dune? Well, they think Dune is like, oh, it's a remake of that '84 movie. I think I was like, oh no, okay, wow. They don't think of it as. And An we've said this on the show. They, they don't think there's any like juice in Dune as a property. Like they're like, oh, Dune. They're like, it's a remake of a weird. I think Kyle MacLachlan, the guy from Twin Peaks, was in it. And bad, I think. <laughs> that's like that's their that's their mental. So how okay. much juice there is in Dune? How, how much water? I guess weirdly is how there is in Arrakis. Is the, is kind of the question. It could bomb. I mean, that's where I'm. The other thing <laughs> I'm possible. coming from. Did you see the numbers, by the way, of speaking of adaptations for The Last Duel, which came out last week, which is the Damon Affleck medieval weird haircut? Movie. No, but I am going to watch that because I've read a few really interesting reviews. Apparently, it's good. It did $8 million at the box office. Oh, wow. Because people have no last... I mean, and those are stars. And now, I, maybe you could argue that Chalamet and Zendaya are bigger box office draws in today's day and age. I might believe you, and it's a big spectacle and not just people running around with weird haircuts and halberds. But... <laughs> It's hard to be a hit. And the other thing about Game of Thrones, it was a TV show, and it became a hit in like year three in a way that became water cooler talk. Dune is a quarter billion dollar production. And I think, I don't know that it's a cliffhanger, but like Dune is not the end of the story. The book and the movie, it's like, it's, I just don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm very I worried, wonder, Rebecca. Even if it's good, I mean, it this, has a hard time. Even this, if it's good, it's going to be hard. It's true. And this moment in media is super interesting where like Dune might have a leg up because it's being released to streaming at the same time as yes. well. And I don't believe The Last Duel was. It's theaters no. only for the time mm-hmm. being. So you do have access to a bigger audience, both because people just at home on their couches with HBO Max to watch Dune. And also lots of folks are still not willing to go to a movie theater. Nothing yet has crossed my threshold of excitement that I've decided to throw down for going back to good old AMC just yet. Um, yeah. So that's just a, the COVID factor of all of this is um, 
inextricable, but also it's too, a question it's one mark, of the yeah. it's like the the seventy eighth too bad thing about COVID, right? But that some of these things aren't getting the chance to like have an audience and people feel comfortable. Like I am sick to my stomach as far as I can be that I'm going to watch this on my couch tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I just I just Jen's going to a drive through, which I envy her to no end um, to see Dune, but like. And again, I have a very nice big TV. It's like my one extravagance. Um, and it'll look great and have a sound system look great, but it's not the same as seeing yeah. the tremor worms coming right at you at 50 feet tall and um, Chalamet's alabaster skin, you know, radiating. He would <laughs> yeah, do so I, badly in a desert, Chalamet. <laughs> oh, he tr- I mean, truly. And I say this as a, per- a fellow person who would do so badly in a desert. <laughs> I know his, his skin is so like pale and out- it's like his mom was the Venus de Milo. Like, I don't know how you get skin like that. It's wild stuff. So anyway, I'm um, looking forward to Dune. We'll have some more stuff about that later. Let's do our first break. And we've got other follow up, believe it or not. And I just got off on a, a tangent because I'm excited. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsy Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon-worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today, and it's the fifth book in the series, so make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. So I said that fall preview draft is still available. Link in the show notes, bookwrite.com um, slash fall draft. Uh, dribble, we, got, we got votes dribbling and drabbing in, available till Thanksgiving. Um, so check that out. We have heard um, feedback about the format. I think people like the f- draft format. I think the Gumroad thing we could work on. It's not mm-hmm. the worst, but it was a first sally in trying stuff like it's, this. Yeah, it was a first shot at a delivery mechanism, and it feels like a first shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But things that are not a first shot, it's holiday recommendation request season. You can start them now. Now, we do not have 
um, supply chain problems uh, like the rest of the world. But the sooner, the better. You'll get in the queue earlier. Podcast at bookriot.com. If you've been around with us for a while, you know we do a sometimes epic, sometimes two-part, always entertaining and fun holiday recommendation request special where you can write in with your book recommendation request. It could be for you, for yourself, and give yourself a little gift of a recommendation. You're looking to buy for other people. You're just curious um, and what have you. I've read a lot this year, so I think I've got some fresh candidates um, to recommend. Me too. You know, it was challenging last year, I think, because we both read a little bit less than in typical years. And also our reading was pretty different than Mm -hmm. in typical years because of COVID. And I was thinking about it this morning, like I've read some things other than the collected works of E.B. White this year. (laughs) So I've got fresh (laughs) recommendations for folks. And, you know, it's been a hell of a couple years, y'all. So please do tell us what you're interested in reading. We'd love to send you encouragement and recommendations for yourselves as well. Also on Coming Attractions, um, we're recording it next week, but the episode will be for released on November 5. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, I don't know that we're going to spend the whole episode on it, but we're going to spend some time on Crossbones by um, newcomer Jonathan Franzen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Jonathan Franzen's debut novel, Daisy Jones and the Six. Uh, Rebecca has started. I have not. So far, so good. We don't want to say more, but you, yeah. you texted me something that gave me uh-huh. good feelings about getting into it. I'm feeling good about it. It's ringing yeah. some Midwestern bells for sure. So, and then I think the last one we're going to do for the fall is spend some t- scheduled time talking about The Sentence by Louise Erdrich, which is mm-hmm. later on in the fall. Looking forward to those things. Speaking of, I put this in here because we're already well into fall. But Goodreads did its members most anticipated list. You know, this is one of their crowdsourced lists. I really like this, and I shouldn't have shared with this because I shouldn't have shared this with you. And you know why? You know <laughs> I why? Think you could I have made have me guess what's on it. I could have done that. Well, there's really two knives to to uh, to stab you in the back with. That would have been one. The other one we were talking about um, drafting strategies. Mm. When really we just we're trying to draft the things that the individual books that the people are the most excited about. People don't, it doesn't sound like people are looking at our baskets holistically. They're looking at which basket has the one or two books that I must read. And everything else is like packing peanuts Uh into that, into that. And this would be a very good indication of these are the books that get the most votes for being interested in. So you could pick, I mean, so I guess, uh, Lincoln highway, the Sentence, Franzen, uh, Whitehead, Moriarty. We picked a lot of these. The one mm-hmm. I was interested in is I should have picked. I should have picked um, the Powers. I think I've seen oh, you that. Think? I, I see that. I was at Powell's um, a couple days ago, and they had like the they have the, the new release table, and they've got like twenty copies of everything stacked up, and there were only two bewilderments left. Like you could see. Now again, maybe there's a run on bewilderment, like the dad showed up <laughs> a um, run or on whatever. Bewilderment, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that one, and I've seen it around. It's discounted at my local grocery store, which is a little unusual for a mid-list literary fiction novel like this. That's one I wish I had back. I, I had back. Um, and then this, and then the Groff. I think we're going to talk about Groff. We've both mm-hmm. read Groff, The Matrix. Oh, gosh, damn it! It's Just Matrix, Matrix, not The Matrix, which is one of the reasons I didn't pick it. But the book is good, Rebecca. It's Shinsky. so good. The book it's is so good. good. I would like to go back and pick that now. Same. I would like to go back and pick that. 
I'm surprised neither of us picked the new Anthony Doerr, Cloud, Cloud Cuckoo Land. Were you a whatever his first book was person? No. Because I am not, no, based on, I can't remember, All the Light We Cannot See. I'm cheating. Yeah. I never read that for whatever reason. I didn't. That's one of those ones that I didn't read it before it came out. And then the hype machine on it was so big that it, once that started happening, yep. I was like, I am going to need some time. It's also I might long. end up reading it. It's long. Yeah. I might end up reading it in like another 10 years. Um, but Anthony Doerr just had not made it to my, he has not crossed my excitement threshold. No. And I don't know, the Richard Powers, that's one that I think would have been a good strategic pick. I was let down by the previous one, the book about the trees that everybody thought yeah. was like so revelatory. So Hot I'm take, little... I'm done reading about trees. I read plenty of tree books. We yeah. get it. Trees are interesting. They talk to each other through their roots. You know, I, yeah, I'm a it's little... good to be in nature. Okay, I got it. I'm, I'm good. I think I'm good I feel trees. a little bit talked, I feel not talked down to, patronized, I guess, <laughs> by Richard Powers sometimes. Um, or like you're just trying yeah. to play to the room too much. It's like when novelists write books set in bookstores because they know people like that um which is another thing that drives me nuts that yeah, i think we call it pandering i think the word yes, is you're pandering for that there, is yeah. the word i'm looking for i feel pandered to and i don't i don't like to feel that i'm being handled uh and i think richard power sort of does that to me a little well bit. that's I'm one of the reasons i'm staying away around. from cloud cuckoo land though just to circle back it's like it's set yeah. in libraries and someone find a book and it follows it from 14 i mean it, yeah I, I will read voraciously but when you start in 1453 your job got harder <laughs> The book is six hundred pages. It starts in fourteen fifty. Your, your book it got did. harder for me the, to pick up. It just you know if we were if we were looking for big crowd pleasers, the new release that I didn't even know was coming for fall until I saw this link today that would have definite. My mom would have voted for me. Oh, there you is go. The new Diana Gabaldon. Go tell That's the bees the that I am gone, which is the new Outlander book. It's the ninth book in the series, and it's been like years and years since the eighth book came out and this should be a really big deal people love the outlander books Um, and so i i'm baffled as to like how it has happened that we're about a month out from this book's release date and i just now heard that it's happening some of our contributors said that they knew this was coming back in like april or may so it's not just that like the publicity didn't exist around it at all but it hasn't been bubbling up on a lot of the, um, the stuff i've been seeing which is interesting well, it's an it's the ninth book in a series. Well, and it's been a while. Tough. It's true. It's very tough. It's very tough. And I think this is kind of niche now. Like you're a fan of this series. You're not a general reader because I'm not picking up the ninth book. If you if you haven't approached right. Gabaldon, you got to go oh, back yeah. to the one. So you've... you're already narrowing your field. With the Eredrick, you can pick up the sentence even if you've That's never read true. Plague of Doves yeah. or the Roundhouse or something. It was. Like that. It was interesting to me to see on this Goodreads list Harlem Shuffle classified as mystery thriller. Yes. Because, like, it kind of is. It's, it's also technically not. about heist, but <laughs> right. it's not like a heist book. It's I, like the setting is a heist. It's almost like the setting more yeah, than the plot, interesting. Yeah, I just had a, like, Scooby-Doo noise of the soul seeing it classified as mystery thriller. Because, like, I mean, he's wedged in between this Alice Feeney rock, paper, scissors book and a Leanne mm. Moriarty, which like that's, that is a straight sort of suspense read. And if you're into, if you're looking for suspense, that's right. Shuffle is not the jam. No, I think though the gavel done to follow up on your point and to counter counterman my own is if you're selecting one draft strategy, we haven't really tried is to pick 10 niche books so that you pick up the books by the, the, oh, the, the, uh-huh. the real, if people are voting based on one, get 10 books. People are going to based on that one alone. I don't think Matrix does it. I don't think the Lincoln Highway does it. I don't think no. Powers does it. I don't think maybe Whitehead doesn't even I, do it. I don't necessarily know that there are even point. 
10 or 20, because there's two of us, books that do that in a season. Well, I can tell you, it's The Roach Moved the Needle for People and Apollo Murders did. And I think maybe if one of us picked the Gabaldon, some people like, I'm an Outlander fan. And if there's one book I'm going to read, it's going to be this one because I've been waiting and I'm excited. I don't care what everything else because I've got to pick this one. So the replacement value of that versus, I don't know, I mean, what else did we pick? Some memoir that we want to listen to on audio that we're excited (laughs) about, that we're trying to build a well-rounded basket. But you know, Screw the well-rounded basket. I want to win. I'm looking for glory. I don't want to pander to the people, though. you want to lose. (laughs) Then you want to lose. At least I'll be right while I'm losing. You'll be right in your you'll you'll lose <laughs> correct you'll you'll be correct in your loserdom. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. That was an interesting plan. list. I guess the nonfiction list down at the bottom, I mean we're not gonna pick any horror. But Fuzz was on there and mm-hmm. you know what wasn't? Oh. The what? Orlean. Because we thought oh, there was right. an Orlean fuzz bifurcation and yeah. we had both said we no... thought that Orlean was men or generally interestable. Not according to Goodreads, I think is regression to the mean. I think so, and there's no Ann Patchett. Which is interesting. The people love Ann yeah. Patchett. There is there is um, the Carnival of Pandering. I mean, Snackery um, by David Sedaris that I got into my basket. We didn't pick any young adult. I don't no. know if any of these would have. I don't think any of those would have picked us oh, no. up. Some I think we did. I picked a Zoraida Cordova novel. Is that a young adult novel? I can't remember. I, no, I thought it was. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you picked a lot like a Adios and Romance. You did pick that one. Yeah. But remember, Romance is a subset. Like, it's That's the smallest true. subset. So you, I don't know they're going to get people to vote for your basket merely based on this book alone. That, I'm going to try that strategy for the, the, the winter. Um, and just, I'm going to do 10 cult picks and see how it goes. All right. Are there enough cults out there? I mean, reading is, <laughs> the reading world is really a collection of cults. It really is. It's there true. is no mainstream reading culture. There There's just isn't. Not. There's not. It's all clumps of fandom that have various Venn diagram moments to them. Clumps of fandoms are just a wonderful show title. <laughs> a lot of good candidates uh, for here to start. So anyway, there's that. News. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> you, t- you take it. You put this link in here. You besmirched our good vibes with this. <laughs> oh, I know. I hated that I was like, yeah, this rises yeah. to the level where we really do have to acknowledge it. So the headline is female Spanish thriller writer Carmen Mola revealed to be three men. This is from The Observer by Emma Graham Harrison and Sam Jones. Uh, there is a million euro literary prize um, that these three Spanish men who have been anonymous writers publishing crime thrillers under the name Carmen Mola were awarded the prize and they have come out of their anonymity to accept the prize. It's called the Planeta. Um, So they went public so they could pick up their check at a ceremony that was attended by the Spanish king. Um, the three of them had published novels and worked as scriptwriters under their real names before they came together to write these books as Carmen Mola. Um, their lead character is a detective. She's a peculiar and solitary woman. Um, these guys are all in their 40s and 50s. They denied choosing a female pseudonym to help sell books. Um, one of them says, quote, we didn't hide behind a woman. We 
hid behind a name. I don't know if a female pseudonym would sell more than a male one. I don't have the faintest idea, but I doubt it. It's sort of bigger. Like, this is shady business already. Um, the history of pseudonyms has largely been for people who like, were marginalized and could mm. not publish under their own names for fear of some kind of retribution or simply that they needed to publish under, like, women who needed to publish under a male name in order to be allowed to publish or because they thought it would give them a fair shake towards an audience that would discriminate against women. And that's just one kind of example. These guys have built up this whole like fake persona for Carmen Mola, where there's a story behind her of like that she's a university professor and a mother of three who like, quote, taught algebra classes in the morning, then wrote ultraviolet macabre novels on scraps of free time in the afternoon. So it's like this great marketing angle around this non-existent person that these three co-writers created um and that's juiced a lot of the marketing mm -hmm. around these books this idea that these like really gritty crime novels are being written by this woman who like in her daylight hours is a university professor and like she probably owns a lot of cardigans um so this is blowing up the literary internet for i think a lot of good reason I'm pretty out of generosity for a thing like we we weren't hiding behind this name. We didn't do it because it would sell books like three dudes sitting down to come up with what their pseudonym is going to be, have a lot of choices before them that are not writing under a female name. And And I do think it would have been different if they had just written under a female name than concocting this whole imaginary persona. This is compared to like they're they're often comparing it to like this is like Spain's Elena Ferrante, who is also you know, like Ferrante is a pseudonym. We don't know who the real person is behind it, but there have been reports at times that like, what if it's a man? And like that'll be so scandalous because Ferrante's novels take us mm -hmm. deep into the lives of women. It's just gross. I just don't like this, Jeff. No, this is bad. And I, I want to present to you the levels of misdirection yes. and where the bright line, I think, is for stuff like okay. this. I don't think either of us love the idea of a pseudonym writ large. I think both of us understand, in some cases, it has utility that we can understand. I think yes. in one case is if you're an established author of some kind and you want to write in a different genre – you don't want the baggage, right? You know, Stephen King has done mm -hmm. this. Rowling did this. And it's kind of an open secret, whatever. But mostly it's so you don't unfairly or you don't misdirect the book that people are going to get, right? Because like, right. if you're going to write out of the genre people are expecting to, you don't want to disappoint people and feel like you're misleading them with your own brand. That That's fine. Also, if you don't want to be a public person and you want to use a pseudonym and then say nothing. Yes. I think that's fine because you, you basically have told the world this is not my real name, and I'm not going to tell you anything else. If people want to buy the book or not, buy the book. I don't love men using women's names um, for all the reasons you articulated. I think that we now have crossed the meridian to lying to the public. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do understand, especially... There's not a great history of people liking multi-author books. And I don't think it's fair or not. I think people like the idea of a singular authorial vision. And so I do understand that we're three people work on this together, but people don't like books like that. And we, I would be okay. I mean, 
whatever. This doesn't cost me anything. But like, I could understand saying we're going to make up a just a generic sure. name that's an amalgam of all three of us. I don't think anyone's well, like, oh, this is three people. I've been so misled. Yeah, and there's a rich history of that. Carolyn Keene, yes. the yes. author of the Nancy Drew books, is a pseudonym for several writers put together. And more recently, I know that the author of the um, th- that children's book series about all the cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't. Aaron Hunter maybe is the author's last name. That's a pseudonym for a collective of writers. And maybe the book series is The Hunters. Somebody's going to have to help me out. Um, but this happens. People do do this. Yep. And I think because readers don't have great responses to a collective of writers, but you don't need to lie about the gender. No, well, that's what I'm getting. It's like yeah. what you cross the line when you're telling people things that are false, right? So that even would include someone, a woman using a man's pen name, right? That's, but that's to try to overcome bias, right? That's trying to right. be the egg against the wall. I can understand it. I, I hope at this point that's not as much of a consideration. In fact, I think to some degree, being exposed would cause you points like it is here to say, well, I was writing under a woman's, what was the Riley Sager or something? Riley or, Sager. Mm-hmm. Now the initials are different because you're just withholding more information to let the name speak and the, no one is bringing anything to it or as little as possible, right? That's not a pseudonym with initials. You're, it needs to be by someone. You don't want to say it's by anonymous because that's also weird. That also has a different layer right. of valence. Like I'm so important right. that I need to be it's, anonymous, but they're feeding false. Like this is a public catfishing of the reading yeah. public is to play it up because if it did no work for them, then why they do it? That's my right. logical it's, problem here is they really the say it doesn't persona. matter. Then why, why do it? Is it fun? why this character and, are you just out for a lark people thought they were getting something it's one thing if they if you know that the author is not who they say they are and then maybe there's like a metafictional thing going on with a ferrante you know that person's name is not ferrante but ferrante's not out there with like counterintelligence disinformation sure. campaigns and that's yeah, what think- this is and I, I just think it's as just from a reader, like what 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 are you doing to your readers? Do you think when this is what do they think people are going to do? Are people who read these books like, oh, what a lark, what a, what a jolly <laughs> leg pulling we all experienced here? The real question I have is why reveal yourselves? Like other than the ungenerous reading of like because your egos wanted you to be able to go to the ceremony and well, get I think the they got a million euro king. reason to. Yeah. But presumably those million euros could have like been divvied up and sent to their agents who could have collected for them. Here's my theory. Here's my theory. Did you read the read all the way down? Part of this prize is to launch a new publishing venture and they want they want the publicity. Mm -hmm. And and I am guessing that there was a condition of this prize. And I don't know. That Uh, said, you got to come out and we're going to make a bit splash. So dummies like us on the Internet will talk about this writer that most (laughs) of the world hasn't heard of. Yeah. And I just think. It, this doesn't give their readers enough credit for being able to smell a rat. Like, if there were no utility to a female pseudonym, right. then why isn't this a male pseudonym about a professor who teaches by day and is raising kids and doing the same? Like, clearly, they're looking for some contrast between the persona of this imaginary woman who is intentionally a woman of their creation and the kinds of stories that this imaginary woman tells. And it's, I mean, I I don't know the legal ramifications of fraud. Like if I buy a book and it's by this person and it has a picture of that, of a woman on it and a profile and that, that these people gave interviews most, they must've been by email or something, right? They've spent Mm -hmm. years giving interviews according to, to someone quoted in this piece. 
at what point is that just that's not fun it's is it a it's just not it's not a it's not a joke and like i don't know i just feel like this just as abuses it's like an april fool's day joke that no one knew was an april fool's day joke and they only let it be known when it was convenient and lucrative for them to do so so they only have the conviction of playing it out and saying we want to do this a miscalculation of how worth it it is to reveal this like I, i think you're right that they probably had to do this in order to take on this new publishing venture. But this is costing a lot of goodwill from their fans. If they want to publish another Carmen Mola book, they're probably going to have an uphill battle in doing that now that all the mystique around this person is gone and has been revealed to be these three men. It's What happened to James t- Frey? Like, yeah. The lo- right, exactly. The long-term calculus here. And all he did was like make up some stories about his own actual life. Right. <laughs> Which compared to this, I mean, people make stuff up. Yeah. Also, as a publisher, I gotta say, that's a you move. don't do this. Mm-mm. Don't publish stuff like this. Yeah, don't the Riley it. Sager thing is a good analogy for that too. I think, or a good analogous. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think I don't remember the real dude's name. But like, I don't, was he giving interviews as Riley Sager and made up a whole different? Yeah, he was giving interviews Riley's... as Riley Sager. His name is oh, okay. like Trevor or something. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> um, anyway, so. We don't see too many of these that break out into like the mainstream media, but this one does. I saw some headlines on like CNBC about this, mm-hmm. so that's worth talking about for a second. Let's do another um, uh, sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santángel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leebardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelin. Shu Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shu Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shu Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. I 
you put this in here, this <laughs> author founding a social network for authors. I don't, I'm not that interested in dunking on this idea, though I think we could. I am interested in the idea behind the idea. Yeah. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you want to tee me up? Or why did you put this in here? What do you find well, interesting I, about Well, I was pointed in this direction of this headline first by a podcast listener who DM'd it to me. And Wonderful. Was like, hey. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. And I think that they sent it to us under the like, it would be fun to listen to us dunk on this. So just know that the dunking is implied. Um the thing that I thought, I guess we should, I mean, we can zoom yeah, up yeah. A, a level and set it up real quick. But yeah, this is a piece in Forbes. This founder created a social media platform for authors that aims to disrupt the publishing industry. It's by Amy Schoenthal, and it's about a woman named Allison Trowbridge, who was frustrated when she was putting her own book out by how she felt like there was no platform for authors to connect with readers and market to them. So she's creating one that's launching soon called Copper. And this is an, an interview with her that Schoenthal conducted the i think the nugget that is the most revealing here is a line where trowbridge says no one has ever made the authors the stars and that she's like i understand why an author would be frustrated with the social media landscape it is difficult to connect with readers in the way that authors want to connect with readers those social media platforms exist for readers to connect with each other and to like get whatever kind of connection they're interested in having from an author. It's not, they're not, these things aren't catered to authors. Mm-hmm. Goodreads doesn't exist to serve authors' needs. Um, and authors do have a different set of needs and wants than readers do. So I found that to be interesting, along with that the sort of distinguishing feature is that rather than publishing a review of the book after you've read it, you can sort of make notes as you go along that sort of turn it into like a live reading book club that then other folks who are reading the same book can talk along with you and the author can chime in as well so they can get a real time take on how people are perceiving their book as they read it. Are any of those the things that you pulled out of it? I, I thought, th- I think that I looked at the same thing you did, there, a social media network for authors. And so the name is the name of the thing is Copper. It doesn't look like it's out yet. I haven't poked mm-hmm. around. I don't know if there's a beta or what. The woman's name who's starting it is Allison Trowbridge. And this is a piece by um, Amy Schoenthal and, and Forbes. And we linked to all the stories we talk about, bookriot.com slash listen. The thing I was wondering about is I don't like, I wouldn't use this. I don't think this is interesting to me personally. And my days of speculating about what other people want, I'm old now, Rebecca, and I know things and I'm weird, <laughs> you know? So I'd have no idea if my own sense of this is right. My guess is that this would is going to fail because most new social media networks mm-hmm. do. That's just a Bayesian <laughs> assumption yep. that, that goes into That's that. That's just statistics, baby. That's just statistics. A LinkedIn for authors is a very tough pitch. Because mm-hmm. you don't need authors to use this. You need readers to use this. Mm-hmm. TikTok is not for... She's like, TikTok was a creative f- a platform for dancers. It's like, I have spent 45 minutes total on TikTok. And I'm pretty sure that not, this is not like a platform for dancers. That's not why people like TikTok. I don't think Instagram was for professional photographers. That is not... I don't follow any professional photographers on Instagram. These are for the people who want to consume the content. That's how these social... What is it that... What is it that a reader wants from an author, I think is an interesting question and maybe could be the form of something else because there is a social network for readers. It's called Goodreads and it's huge Mm -hmm. and it's owned by the largest literary related company in the world, even though it's a now turning into a rounding error on Amazon's balance sheet. But readers, 
who traffic in finding things to read and then posting reviews and not even reviews, finding things to read and then saying things about things they've read. It exists. It's Goodreads. It's the monster. Now there's other ones, there's library things and, you know, book clubs and some other places that are trying to give a better experience for that. And maybe some of them succeed, well, maybe they won't. But in terms of like what a reader wants from an author has never been super clear to me because Alison Trowbridge interacting with her readers does not scale. You're not going to yeah. be popping into, let's say you have a modest size hit, or even let's say you earn out your mid-list literary fiction novel and it sells 10,000 copies. Are you going to be popping into even 50 people's live reading? Like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I, why am I, think... I doing this work of creating content for authors so they can market other books to me? Like, I don't, what readerly itch does that scratch? I don't get it. That's why I'm yeah, really losing I, the thread. I think I'm, con I think that the confusing part about this or the thing that Trowbridge doesn't show in this interview to have taken into consideration is the element of what readers want. This yeah. seems to be intended to serve author desires and author needs and authors certainly desire to connect with readers primarily for the purpose of being able to market their books to them. That's challenging because readers are out there seeking out the books that they're interested in. They're being marketed to mm -hmm. left and right. As a, an individual reader, the idea of making my reading notes public in real time and having the author be able to chime in about how I'm perceiving their book is a nightmare. <laughs> so like I will, this is not something that I will be trying and then it, this really made me wonder like i think the whole notion that readers want something from authors might just be mostly false like is there somebody in the music industry sitting around going like how can we connect rebecca shinsky to adam duritz while she's listening to the new counting crows album and and maybe she wants to like live text it and he can respond to her or like something with the same with movies like I, do, I don't see those things coming out of other like forms of entertainment media, trying to connect the people mm -hmm. who consume the media with the people who create it, at least so intimately and for a kind of marketing opportunity. Now, books are meaningfully different from how movies and music are, and those industries function really differently. Yeah. But the assumption that readers want something from the author, other than just the work, like once the book is out in the world, it belongs to the readers to do with what they want and to have their responses. And mostly readers want to have their reading experience and connect. If they want to connect, they want to connect with other readers about it. This is at least this is the thing people tell us and the things yes. that people use existing social media for. In more than 10 years now of Book Riot, I've never received an email from someone who's like, the thing that I would love as a reader is more ways to connect with more authors no. and have them tell me about their books more of the time. If anything, we're mm -hmm. fighting the other battle, which is authors, publicists, whatever, wanting interviews, pitches, essays, mm -hmm. whatever, that we'll put on the site or wherever. And 99% of them are like, I don't think, I don't think that's interesting, right? I mean, I don't think there's anything there. And you can follow Stephen King on Twitter. You can follow and do this at your peril, Margaret Atwood on Twitter. Um, and you get some interaction there. But the kind of scale that people now expect from a social media network, I don't really understand how it's possible. Because we have, at this moment, you can have access to basically whatever kind of celebrity you want. And I think what we found is we don't care on the whole, yeah. right? Maybe 
a picture from Chris Hemsworth lifting weights every now and again is interesting. I don't know. But hate like it. what's what's the next sentence to quote the West Wing? Like what's the next thing? Mm-hmm. Uh the the other thing from the other side in the book industry is like we've seen a bunch of book club things happen. None of them have been setting the world on fire. I think they're selling books because people like books. But in terms of leveraging some special sauce, if you're going to get X units of unique interaction with Y author, no one's, that doesn't seem to be coin of the realm. And maybe, maybe the idea here is, or explicitly the idea here is, what if there was a space devoted to that? I guess, I mean, I can, you can raise two and a half million dollars for anything with Adam Grant's name on it, which is what the, the subtext of this particular piece is here. Um, and I don't hope it fails. I think if there's, no. a, there's a real market for people and there's a bunch of, author, or bunch of authors that want to get in the trenches. But I got to tell you, if you don't want to be on social media, I'm not sure being among your hardest core fans while they read your book is a place you want to live. <laughs> well, I think I understand all the reasons that an yes. author would sign up for a service like this. I don't understand very many reasons at all that a reader would sign up for a service like this when things like Goodreads already exist in the world. So if I had like if I had to guess, I would guess like that this will be, you know, moderately successful in signing new people up. But that on balance, you'll have like 90 percent authors (laughs) and maybe 10 percent readers. And that's not what these authors are there for. They're not like trying to talk to each other about the books that they've written. They're trying to connect with eager audiences. I would also guess that a lot of these will be debut writers. And when you're a debut author, it's the hardest thing to connect with readers because they don't know your work yet. They don't know you yet. And folks are seeking out like the Chris Hemsworth of their literary world, or maybe after they read your debut novel, if it's great, they might go looking to see if you have a Twitter account that they can follow. But in terms of like real deep connection with authors, I think I'm a little, I give a little side eye to like the, the idea of it being connection in the first place when all, most of this is about marketing, whether they state it that way or not. This is about trying to sell your book and that's fine. It's your job to try to sell your book, um, but to package it as some, like a reader service when it's about giving authors a way to market their books is a little bit of a misdirection. As yeah, well. I think that's a really good point And it raises the question you should ask of all of these things is where is the money coming from? Not the venture, but on an ongoing basis, how is this company? What's its business model? Like mm-hmm. what's in its pitch deck? Because this, the revealing stat to me was it says 81% of people um, say they would like to write a book someday. Yeah. There are lots of companies that make a lot of money trying to monetize that dream for people editing, mm-hmm. self-publishing, marketing. I really hope it's not trying. I mean, where? what do you have to, to join this? What do you do? So it says the authors are verified, right? So that's how you know it's actually uh, the three girls and the three Spanish dudes in a trench coat you're signed up for. <laughs> it, my, my thought would be that they're going to charge authors to get their verified check, mm-hmm. some sort of annual subscription. Mm-hmm. And those authors are going to be chasing marketing opportunities of whatever wide-eyed reader show up here because they're going to live blog their reading of whatever that other people can see. That seems to me the recipe for a toxic stew of almost unimaginable proportions to me. Yeah. And 
part of this reeks of having not done a little research that like there are already horror stories on the internet about what has happened when authors have seen negative reviews of their books on Goodreads and like (sighs) gone after those readers in a variety of ways up to and including stalking Mm -hmm. like the notion that it's good that it's just a net good for authors to be able to see in real time how people are responding to their book and then to get into the conversation is that that's a very heavy and loaded assumption that we already know to not be 100% true. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be real interesting when someone gets in there and is live blogging a book by an author and they hate the book and they say so and they may be crude, vulgar, or even not. Mm -hmm. And now it's there. And if this is for authors, I would guess that there's provisions for taking that stuff down. Because if I'm an author, you're going to get those. You cannot take bad reviews down of Goodreads unless in very, very, very difficult circumstances. I would say that maybe Goodreads should take more down, but probably you're going to err on the reader side if, if you're going to err on anybody's side. Because the author, what, what incentive do they have to keep some crap up there to say mm-hmm. not to squawk to? Depending on, you know, I'm paying $100 a year and there's hosting, you know, there's these seven people that zerged my book because they don't like that I have some other political opinion, like I'm Sally Rooney about Israel or something like that. This is one example that yeah. you, could, you could imagine someone using the platform to Rotten Tomatoes review bomb them. I'm just not sure that this is, I'm not sure this is a place anyone's going to be ultimately happy with. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I can definitely understand that authors want more insight into what's going on. And we heard this in a different story about people starting their own publishing houses. Like They want mm-hmm. more control. I think you want more control of the train. I'm not sure grabbing the third rail directly is the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think I will be watching this with curiosity. I hope there are some follow-up stories about how it develops. I would like to hear from authors who yeah. join it. I'm curious if any of our you know, rank and file reader folks who listen to this show would would or have or looking to join a network like this, what your experiences are like. You can get two point five million dollars to do anything with Adam Grant's name on it, I think is the headline. Uh, it's just wild to me that there's no place right now where readers can have discussions about the book and then the author can see in real time what people are reacting to yeah. it. Which that's just patently false and verifiably so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I guess, discussions, you can trouble any word. What's what's definition of discussion? What's real time? And You can watch people talk about your book on Twitter. It requires that there are people on Twitter talking about your book that you can find them. <laughs> but how, many, like, how many humans are interested in live blogging their reading of a book? Like, even when we were in our hardest book blogging days, Rebecca, oh, no yeah, one did I this. Mean, but- no one I did had this. Maybe not live blogging, but like I certainly had a very memorable experience on Twitter where I tweeted about a new book without naming what it was and some of my takes on it. Somebody else chimed in and the author either followed us or was searching for similar terms to their book and like got into the thread oh, in a way that was not a good look for them. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Well, well, I don't I, I really don't coming in to yuck someone else's yum of idea. And maybe there's a great pent-up demand for this and it'll be a wonderful experience and it'll be great. Um, I, I would not be interested in a pitch deck on investing in a Series B round for copper uh, myself. I think that's got to be up their show for today. Um, you can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. 
can shoot us or you can find the show notes bookriot.com slash listen check out SFF yeah me saying words with Jen about foundation and a little bit of saga fall book draft holiday recommendation requests and I really would like whatever Dune thoughts you have if you watch mm. Dune this weekend as a reader as a non-reader I'm finding I found it with foundation I'm going to find it hard with Dune to evaluate it as if as a standalone property because the, the the raw math of it is that most people who watch Dune will have no sense of the book I, I think that's both true in um, experiential terms but also just in numbers right because a lot of people have read Dune but it's also 70 years old and the average watcher of Dune is coming to Dune fresh. And is it good for them is the real question. Much like it's true for Game of Thrones. I think having a fandom is helpful if the thing is good. But the thing that matters is if the average watcher of that thing likes that thing and wants to talk about and tune into into next week's episode or next installment mm-hmm. or next spinoff universe. And that has little to do with the underlying source material. Um largely. So, Rebecca, I'll be very curious to pick your brain um, about what it's like to spend time among House Atreides and Harkonnen on the desert planet of Dune. Yes. Um, we'll have Dune thoughts. We'll have maybe some Matrix thoughts next oh, week. Oh, we, we have to spend Franzen. We have to spend five minutes on... We can Maybe we'll double up Franson and, and Groff. That seems um, right. That seems right double, to me. For yeah. double. Thank you so much, as always, Rebecca. Have a good one. Have a good one.